You're listening to NYCNYSEA, and we're talking sports and much, much more. We've got a great show today. Very happy to have uh, Scott Ligo with us. He's the president of Student Athletes Advocates. Scott, man, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your um, what you're part of and uh, you being president of the Student Athletes Advocates. Before we get into the NCAA and uh, a couple other things that we want to talk about today, just uh, describe your organization. Thanks, Will. Uh, love being doing a show with you always. Um, Student Athlete Advocates is a program that I've developed here in the local Seattle area uh, as I was the head football coach at Garfield High School, realizing that, you know, firstborn, our first generation underserved, under, um, you know, utilized the communities. Um, they end up at situations where you know the they don't get the right information they're not access to the resources and things like that so garfield being a good example of the, the transformation that's happened in the central area um used to be 80 percent african-american 20 percent um other and now that's flipped and with that has come a situation with the counselors who are great people and this is not a shot on them they have a lot on their plates mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, it's about they just don't have the, the time. Their plates are full. Uh, they're more, you know, uh, if you looked at a counselor's true job, it's really to get them through the high school years, academically second. But at Garfield, because it is a magnet school, it's really the academics is really what pushes it. And their AP program is so strong. Uh, it has more, you know, Washington scholars than Lakeside High School does. Uh, on average, about 44, 45 valid Victorians every year. Uh, so it's really academic, which is great, and it's great for the community, but it's also uh, those kids that don't have those resources get kind of get pushed to the back. So um, the kid that I had at, at the school at the time that I went through, when I went and talked to him about the NCA eligibility, uh, all those types of things really had a struggle. Um, you know, they didn't understand the, the literally the sliding scale, SAT, ACT, how that works, how their GPA has to work, uh, all those things. And the NCAA, uh, unfortunately, uh, although it's a needed organization, is, as we both know, pretty cumbersome and makes it a little harder for these kids. So that's what we do. Uh, we gave uh, this uh, past spring, we gave two talks, one at Roosevelt and one at Cleveland. Uh, we would love to get more people out of those, and uh, we think that the the information that we provide is very, very valuable to help these kids in all in three areas: eligibility, uh, the recruiting process, not about them getting recruited, um, and the third part is the financial aid and how uh, they can pay for college. You know, and this information is just not only for the students, but more importantly for the parents because of the process uh, has to start at, you know at uh, such an early age. Um, I know uh, growing up, you know, we started thinking about college. It's really kind of like, all right, you got to bang down your junior year. That's the that's the year. Don't screw yeah. the don't screw up the junior year. That's exactly. But that's not the case anymore. There's so much more involvement, and there's a, a lot of uh, to go along with that process. So it's really important um, what you guys are doing, and and at what age and and or grade level should that be uh, something that parents and students should be looking at? Uh, they really, be honest, quite frank and honest, it should be about eighth grade. Uh, in walking into a high school, do you know the process? Do you know what NCA core courses look like? Do you know what, how to get onto the NCA portal site to get make sure that the courses that your son or daughter is taking are appropriate? Uh, you don't want to get to your junior year and go, oh, they were in the remedial math class for three years, 
and now they're stuck and they can't go anywhere. Um, and it's it's to the NCA process, which we'll kind of talk about a little later on the show. But uh, now major Division One schools are basically they're targeting the way that the early recruitment works now. They've already got their senior class pretty much knocked out, done. Uh, they're looking at the juniors heading into their senior year. They've got that class pretty much knocked out. The Huskies I know right now probably have ten kids in their class, and then they're really, to be quite frank, honestly, when they go out in spring recruiting now, they're looking at the sophomore freshman class. They have you identified by your freshman or sophomore year. Um, you know, the internet has changed things, uh, you know, the views, they can see things. Um, there's the rankings, there's guys that are, you know, the services that are out there. So it's much earlier process. So as you as a parent and you as a student athlete don't have all of your ducks in a row academically, you could be put yourself in a pretty bad position. You know, the GPA is low, it's 2.3, but you have to have a 2.3 GPA. And then you have to have a sliding scale SAT, ACT score that goes with that. And what that means is the lower your AC, your lower your GPA, your higher SAT, ACT test uh, score has to be. So it doesn't always coincide with each other. Most times when kids are 2.3 students, they're 2.3, you know, great people. And, and if we're being honest with the, the process, and a lot of kids, you know, get test anxiety. I got test anxiety, and it's usually because I just wasn't prepared. But, you know, most of these kids test anxiety because all of a sudden they have to hit a certain number, and it becomes cumbersome and hard for them to do, even though they may be academically very capable of doing those things. We're going to get into the NCA and, and what President Mark Emmert uh had to say this past week about threatening the California schools. But before we do that, just because we're, we're kind of, you know, segueing a little bit into this topic before we get into that, um, we want the students to be prepared and which means we're preparing the parents and what we're seeing now. And, and you know, you sent me a great article about the snowplow parenting and what that involves. Um, what kind of delicate balance, because we're asking our parents to be involved at an at a early process, and then it seems like either they're too involved or they're involved in the wrong way. What, what is, what, what's some of those thoughts with the snowplow uh, parenting that's happening right now, and what are the benefits, and, and when should maybe some of that stuff should be left to someone like you or to the coaches, depending where they're at as they progress um, and as they get older um, going forward? Well, you know, we... Uh, what we specifically do, we do, we are about education. So we like to provide the parents and the student athlete. There are, you know, organizations that can charge you from excess of five to $10,000 for them to be in a database with wow. them. Uh, we charge very minimal amounts of money and we basically, we want to educate you. We want to get, put the process in your hands and going to addressing to your specific question about, uh, you know, slow snowplow parents versus the helicopter parents, uh, which kind of seems like everybody wants to get these things done. Uh, we're really, you know, cognizant when we first meet with the parents and the, and the student athlete, we kind of get a feel right away of how this is working is sometimes we can feel that, you know, old dad is working vicariously through the kids. So explain and, and, that before you continue, just what snow uh, plow parenting is. So the old term was helicopter parent, just somebody who was always, a, you know, keeping their eye on their kid and making sure that, you know, their playing time wasn't right and things like that. They would approach the coach and being, you know, just hovering, hovering just all the time <laughs> over the top of the kid, you know, and not doing what most parents should do, which I would advise all parents to do. Don't talk, have that conversation after the ride home you know, and, and beat your kid up out there, play and stuff like that. Just ask them one question. Did you have fun? And that's the most important thing. And even in the process of getting a college scholarship, it's a privilege. It's luck. It's you, you know, physically, you know, 
able to you know get a scholarship that's what the, the you know luck of the draw works and so enjoy the process now these snowplow parents are basically trying to pave the way i think we're we're all pretty if you follow sports we all know that the latest controversy of these parents who are paying for access to uni- colleges and universities were from high prestigious families some mom from china mm-hmm. paid 5.6 million dollars to make sure their kid got in the right school I would like 5.6 million in my pocket for, you know, if you want to help, I'll help out your kid. Uh, you know, I say that with tongue in cheek, but the, the other part of this is it's, it's not, a, it's not allowing the kid to fail, figure this out. You know, um, if, you know, if a parent comes in and says, I want my kid to be looked at and uh, he wants to play basketball at, you know, UCLA and he walks in and he's four foot one, I, you know, I, I pretty much cut the conversation off and the parents say, hey, listen, I appreciate the dream. But to be quite frank and honest with you, I don't really see him playing center for UCLA. So I think there's some of those things you have to kind of work through. And I we do a really good job of analyzing those things. We don't want to see kids, uh, you know, like you said, dad or mom living vicariously through them. That, that's their dream. It has to be about the kid's dream. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. The snow plowing thing is, is sad, I think, you know, that these – um, you know, parents have basically looked at these kids somewhat as a brand. They talked about it in the article that they've built these, you know, companies around their kids. And, you know, in the one case that they talked about in the article, I mean, the kid hasn't even thrown a ball one time in the NFL. He could, you know, hurt his shoulder the first play of the game and be done. We've seen it time and time again uh, with with athletes. So uh, I think it's a, it's a scary, you know, uh, situation that's out there and i think even like ohio state has addressed it uh they, they've kind of flipped it a little bit they told the parents okay that's great you want to be involved well you can make your own parent association and you guys figure out the travel and do all that stuff they just kind of pushed them and they gave them a president's a vice president a secretary and basically pushed them to the right and said we'll just keep them over there let them be their own little group and, and but we'll keep an eye on them and i think um you know, Mike Bray talked about it in the, the Notre Dame basketball coach. He says, you know, we can we can complain about it or we can control it. And I think a lot of the, you know, the top level programs can control it. Um, you know, but let's face it, it's trickled down to the to the high schools and things like that. Um, you know, the transferring of high school kids left and right, um, which then transfers to the high school or to the college transferring, which we all know about the transfer portal and the, the bad things that have happened there. But really the sad part with this uh, snowboarding, I think, is m- the most important thing is that these kids aren't learning how to fail. And when they do fail, and it can happen at any time, they're gonna not going to know how to deal with it emotionally, you know, uh, dealing with them and their lives of giving up their sport that they're, you know, not playing anymore. Um, you know, like one of the questions we always ask to our kids, uh, you know, when they're choosing a college is ask yourself if the sport leaves you, you leave the sport or whatever. Do you see yourself on this campus getting the degree you want? Is this the community you want to live in for four or five years? And if you can't answer that without your athletics, I think you're probably making the wrong choice. So I think it's a bigger question. And unfortunately, everybody, I think there's, you know, they talk about it a lot now, and unfortunately, in the recruiting room, do people want to be the best football player or the best athlete at their school, to the college they want to go to, or do they like being recruited? I think a lot of people like being recruited. It's easy to be in the limelight. It's easy to be on Twitter for 140 characters and say, I got another offer. I got another offer. And how many other kids who wish they got one offer can't even put that on on Twitter. And so we live in this world that's always about, you know, 
being recruited. And I think that's sad that, you know, the, of the process of, you know, where we're at today. It's, uh, you know, and to me, it's just sit back and enjoy it and, and enjoy every day of it. And parents enjoy that you get to take your kids to go to practices because that's going to end one day. And yes, it does. Student athletes, you're going to, you know, you're going to end up, you know, the sport's going to leave you or, uh, you know, look at the XFL that was here this weekend did tryouts. A hundred guys got invited. Maybe the third, fourth, fifth try for some of these guys. Well, that's a long, that's a, you know, and what are they really paying for? Um, you know, so, you know, if you looked at the old, uh, you know, AFL's contracts, I mean, those kids are only paying for $75,000. Or if you're a fringe NFL guy who just got caught off the 53-man roster, do you want to go for three fifty, or are you going to play for 75000 and still have the risk of injury? That's a question that if they can't answer those things, I don't think that they're going to ever really come up with a viable league. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the XFL. They can make that thing happen, but we'll see. Yeah, that'll be a great conversation uh, to talk about the XFL and, and, and what direction they're going to go. And uh, I, I like personally to see some uh, some interesting things if they want to experiment with that XFL. But we'll get to that another time. Um, you know, going back to the snowplow parenting, um, it's really interesting because I, I think you know we we talk about social media and we're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but. I mean, we see these high-level athletes where the parents are involved, and they're stars themselves. You know, whether it's a Draymond Green's mom that we we know who he is, or you know, uh, you know any of these um, that these parents that we now see side by side that you can pretty much call them their agents because um, they're doing certain things, they're talking with certain people, they're trying to put them in certain camps. Um, unfortunately, um, a lot of, a lot of that is also going back to the beginning of some of this stuff is with YouTube, right? So the coaches can't get to see everybody. So now everybody has to have, um, their plays on YouTube. So if coaches can't see them, they'll tell you, you know, I want a minute and a half or two minutes. Don't make it longer than this. So you're, you're telling the, the, the parents there to be a part of it. I need you to take over. I need you to, uh, give me X, Y, and Z. And then at some point, I want you to back off. And I think that's some of the interesting ground that that makes it difficult. Like, okay, I want to get my kid noticed, so let's open up an Instagram page so he get more likes or more people could you know view him on a Twitter or Instagram or anything like that, a YouTube page. So you're telling these kids or their parents to to set something up that's more convenient for the coaches, where you know you would either have to go to a game to go scout somebody. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something like that. So it's a, it's a confusing time. Right. It's a confusing time as a parent and you're trying to do what's best for your child for them to get noticed. And then what is reality? Like you said, you mentioned, you know, you know, I'm I'm five eight. I know I'm not playing basketball. I'll go play. I'm a weekend warrior. I'll go play basketball with my buddies, and I'm very happy when I get off the court and I'm not hurt. Sure, <laughs> you know. So th- there's certain elements, but what's realistic for parents and and for them to have certain expectations? So it's an interesting time. Where do you think maybe some of that balance going forward? I know it's a little bit hard to kind of, you know, have so much forward thinking, but 
you know, where do the coaches say, okay, I don't need you to do this or where to back up? It's an interesting dilemma. Well, I think, you know, the one thing that I bring in a little different, interesting perspective is that my stepson happens to be a, you know, power five assistant coach. So I hear it from the other end. And I think that uh, recently coach uh, Meyer was talking about this, you know, this early recruitment has really changed it. And uh, to, you know, to address into what you were talking about, uh, I think that they are, um, I, I, I think at the end of the day, the NCAA and the college football coaches, the power guys, the Nick Sabans, the Dabo Sweeney's, uh, those types of guys have to come out and, and voice their opinion and have to say, we, we, we have to get some, regain some control of this insanity. And we need to stop the early recruitment. We need to stop, uh, you know, like you said, the social media or, you know, we're only going to accept uh, Twitter accounts or however, because now it's gone to Snapchat and it's going and it went left Facebook. And uh, I don't know where, you know, but everybody's always looking for the competitive advantage. So it's that balance of what you're just talking about. Yes, I want the parent involved, but I don't want the parent so involved. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we talk about in the recruitment process when we give off our, our program is we tell the parents, you're also being recruited. You're also being looked at. If yeah. you're the crazy parent up in the stands, do you think that college coach is like, well, do I want to do that for the next five years? So sometimes you need to check yourself to make sure that you're not part of the, you know, why your kid maybe isn't getting traction. Um, but to address what you're saying, I, I, I've seen both sides of it. I've literally seen my steps on, on a Friday night, Saturday night after a game literally not be able to sit back and enjoy the, the victory and have to be on Twitter for 30, 40 minutes, you know, congratulating high school kids about their games. And, you know, we, we, we will see you next year. You're going to be great in our program and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that saddens me to, to watch that. But I also know that's part of his job. And that's what's, you know, the crazy amount of money these guys are getting paid. Because if not, somebody else is congratulating them and maybe from another school. And if they haven't signed anything on paper and they got a verbal commitment, they could just back out of it. Well, and I think that's the other sad part about that. It was like, you know, it'd be the old days of the recruitment. You know, you just read about it in February, saw the little list, and there was all the guys. And you go, oh, we got Johnny, we got Jimmy. You know, you didn't know the backstories. Now with social media, uh, I'm guaranteed that big-time boosters, they're watching every coach's account. And if they see that the old uh, Wazoo coach, uh, you know, went after this kid and you weren't doing it on Saturday night, guess what? The, guess who's getting a phone call on Monday morning? That's How an come? interesting element. That's yeah. a very interesting element. Now we're talking about your job. Yep, right? absolutely. And so you're exposed a little bit more and you're put out there versus, you know, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, and again, it's kind of addressing what you're saying. I think some of those loophole parts of those things need to be shut down a little bit because I think, unfortunately, you become too, as we all like to say, we want to be transparent. Well, that's important, the transparency piece, but it also works negatively against you because, uh, you know, your boosters within your own program can be negative to the coaching staff and saying they're not working hard. I mean, that's the old adage of why guys stay till four in the morning at the office. Well, if USC is doing it, by gosh, we're going to do it. Well, that doesn't prove anything. It just says you were there till four in the morning, yep. and then Friday and Saturday afternoon at five o'clock when you get down the game and they're up sixty-five to nothing, uh, probably means maybe they had better recruits and maybe they're just the better football team. It had nothing to do with you staying up until four in the morning. So, unfortunately, that's kind of where the world that we live in and the, 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 that world, you know, and it trickles down. I mean, you look at the high school now, and, and um, you know, some coaches don't last three or four years because you know the parents start you know hitting the drums. I saw a kid uh, coach. This this year who basically took her softball team at the, I think it was 14 
of 14 years, you took them 12 times to the state playoffs. They never won it, and they 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 fired her. This That's year. crazy. You know, and I, at, at the end of the day, do, do you have to ask your question: Is is the coach, you know, running a clean, honest program, doing the right things? Is my son or daughter coming out of it with a positive experience and all those things? And I think that's it. Then I think that that's coach is a winner and shouldn't be looked upon wins and losses or did you win the state championship? Because, I mean, getting to the state playoffs is, is, is a feat in its own and should be recognized as that should be the, you know, the, the goal of the program. And, yeah, we all like to win it, but sometimes it just doesn't work that way. I just read a great book about um, to, to get us to, to, uh, to, get us, to us uh, by Seth Davis about coaches and, Davis, and yeah. yeah and one of the things that they always talk about all these coaches you know they, they every one of them they said they they don't really remember the wins they only remember the losses and the losses literally haunt them and that's sad to me that you didn't even enjoy the wins that you didn't enjoy the time to t- do it and it's uh you know it's kind of where we're at today I mean I you know I know we're gonna talk about it a little bit later but I mean they're literally a thir- seven-year-old baseball game. We have a brawl with the parents over a seven-year-old baseball game. I mean, it's just with a thirteen-year-old umpire um, in, in in Colorado, which um, I, f- I forgot exactly where in Colorado they have some really strict rules. Yeah, um, and even with those strict rules, these parents lost their damn mind. Oh yeah, and imagine so. Just, you know, let's just get into it because we're talking about it. These are seven-year-old kids. If your child is on the field, right, and we we know how impressionable they, they are, especially when they see mommy and daddy there, right? They're already trying to impress us, yep. right? Especially at that age. Absolutely. Right? They're already trying to impress us. And that goes back to something you mentioned earlier, saying, hey, after the game, little Johnny did something wrong. That's not the time to bring it up, yep. you know, because they're already kind of going through it. But what does that do for a kid that says, uh, if mommy and daddy are gonna act like that, maybe I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, uh, it's it's the biggest problem in, in, that we have, and I've seen it time and time again. I was in a great conversation this week on through Facebook about it with a guy who's in a different part of the country, and he says, I just don't know what to do. I've done every single thing. I've had police there. I've done everything. I've tried to get the parents to be the buy-in and doing uh, positive coaching alliance and things like that. But it's you know it's just the culture we live in today, and I don't know where it went where it went sideways. To be honest with you, you know. Um, uh, I grew up in an era where you know went and played, and you always respected the coach, and you shook the other hands of the other teams, and you and you walked off, and you just and you went came back next week. Um, but now it's you know AAU, the competition, the money is involved, and you know I'm paying for all this money, and my kids, the training, and things like that uh, that are going on. These parents feel like there's a, a right, a privilege for them to say whatever they want, uh, act how they want. And, uh, you know, the sad part about that whole seven-year-old uh, fight was the minute it starts going down, you see all the seven-year-olds literally from the outfield running to the, uh, out of the, off the field. They know what to do. They knew to get off the field, but not the parents. They made it a worse brawl. And, uh, you know, and especially when we're talking about social media, um, it amazes me that people would, could even think about acting like that behavior when we all know that every phone that is at every single game has a camera on it and a video, and they're going to start videoing this stuff. And sure enough, that's how everybody got to see it across the country. Watch this this uh, atrocious act, you know, happen in front of a seven year old. And you know, and addressing to what you were saying, a thirteen year old kid at ump. I mean, we have low, you know, referees and umpires. And why, why would you want to do this job? Absolutely, I I know I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you have the highest leveled referees and whether it's the NBA or NFL, and we we see it because we see everything in slow motion on the replay. We see when they make the mistakes. 
but it's absolutely incredible how difficult these jobs are. Um, why would you want, you know, it, the, you know, 13 year old kids just trying to make a couple extra bucks they have in his pocket. Maybe he wants to go buy a video game on Friday or something like that, or, you know, wh- whatever it is, you yep. know, or, or just, you know, parents just kind of having some great principles to say, Hey, go out there, go work, go sweat a little bit. You know, how, you know, this game, you know, get out there, do your thing, you know, become that person, right? So you're trying to teach great fundamentals if you're a parent telling, you know, whoever it is to go out there and, and work a little bit and, you know, and be in that hot sun with, with some heavy equipment on and be uncomfortable. And then you're going to have to deal with parents that are going to act a certain way. And it's um, it, it's it's a little scary because we're going to lose. We, we already have enough issues with kids not playing. Right, because they're on their phone, they're you know, video game, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, socializing, glued to whatever they're going to be glued to. We want them to go outside and play. We want them to participate, especially in neighborhood sports where uh, there's a lot more community involvement, where you could see your neighbor and see your neighbor's kids and really root. I love when my daughter plays because I see all the I see all the parents and all the kids, and I see them walking to school and hey Johnny, you know, hi Laurie, you know, it's just. It's just great, and we're going to lose that because of acts like this. Absolutely. Well, I think you know one of the things that we do in our program, which I'm really proud of, one of the things we try to address is we tell kids, you know, at the end of the day, you may not get a, gain an athletic scholarship. doesn't mean you can stop living your dream of ever being involved in sports and to the highest level. So let's just take this 13-year-old, maybe not as you know, physically gifted in baseball, but loves the game. And wants to give back. And that's the one way they can give back. And they're really good at calling balls and strikes. And now this kid has this experience and completely leaves it and doesn't want to do it anymore. And then we've lost a kid that maybe... He might want to be a future coach and and doesn't want to do it now. Absolutely. And it has nothing to even do with playing the sport. It has to do about giving that kid empowerment, making them feel good. It's one of the things that we do a really good job. We show, uh, you know... I know guys that you know like work for the Seahawks that take pictures and have Super Bowl rings. Pretty cool. Yeah. Take pictures, don't get hit, and I get to take pictures, <laughs> and I get a Super Bowl ring. I'm, I'm 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 liking that job. So I think that that's the really the bigger part of the thing that really bothered me about the whole thing. Uh, besides the parents acting the way they did, is that how many kids, like you said, those little seven year olds that probably it's think, supposed to be playtime. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I don't think I want to do this again. And they're done. The 13 year old probably not done. And any free, future young person who wants to be an umpire probably like yeah. I'm good. I'm not going out to do that. You have to understand, folks. Those those referees, umpires, they're making about twenty, thirty bucks, maybe at the high level, and that's all they're getting paid for. And they and usually have multiple yeah. games during the day, yeah. so it's not their first game. Yeah. So you know, I, I've seen um, you know these uh, refs and umps, whether it's baseball or lacrosse, or and they're like, no, I've got two more games, so I'm here all day, or you know, I'm trying to make you know ninety bucks today, you know, doing three games and. It's it's really uh it's really really difficult. We're talking with Scott Ligo, president of Student Athletes Advocates. Um, you can check out his website saadvocates.org for uh, plenty of information to help uh, parents and students, um, student athletes through eligibility, uh, eligibility, recruiting, and financial aid process from D one to NAIA. So please check out his website. Um, he's here to help. And we're talking uh, about the NCAA. We're talking about um, youth sports. Um, that was really concerning, just to kind of put a bow on that topic. Um, the way they acted, the way um, that they felt it was easy for them to become physical, 
to really, it, it really went from zero to 60 just like that. Um, uh, you saw uh, people get sucker punched and get laid out. Um, imagine that's your dad, you know, or your uncle that came to see you play a game and he just got snuffed and he's laid out and he's face, for, uh, face first in the dirt. Um, I, 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 it's just deplorable. You know, it's just deplorable because I'm thinking about the kids. You're adults. You know what? You want to you want to be jerks and punch each other in the face and things like that. Hey, fine. You know, go to a bar, go to MMA fight, go do something else. I don't care. But you did it in front of kids, and 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 we're just seeing what we saw. We're not looking. We're not seeing the kids that were around the field that weren't playing. That they're walking around, maybe walking their dog or hanging out or playing at, you know, on the monkey bars or the swings, you know, you know, right down from there. They see this commotion and see these adults acting like that. You know, we're supposed to set these examples for these kids to behave a certain way. We tell them, say, hey, use your words, talk it out. You know, you know, listen, I'll be the first one to say somebody puts your hands on you and you feel like you need to defend yourself. I get it. But the first option should be try to use your words, you know, go to an adult. Yep. Have them, you know, talk to them about the situation. How can we explain that to these kids when the adults there are acting that way? And uh, it was just disgusting. It's really upsetting, just not even on a sports level, but on a level of, you know, us trying to teach these kids to act a certain way and how to handle their emotions. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the, the, to me, I think, like I said, I had a conversation about this earlier Um I think there's some guys that are doing some great work. There's a uh, group, John O'Sullivan, who has got a program called Changing the Game. Um, I think that he's somebody that we need to, you know, emulate and follow. And I think that the way he goes about it, um, really setting the tone and showing examples. Uh, he does a great podcast talking about different ways of practice and coaching. And he gets teams from rugby from England that I've listened to and the way they go about how they do put together practices. Um, I'm going to be talking tomorrow wh- where I live out in Everett with uh, some leadership about the, you know, the youth inequity, you know, financially and things like that. Um, I think we have to start local and I think we always have to start there. And I think it, you know, uh, I think as parents, you think it's important for you to, you know, vet your own, you know, organization you're with. Do you get the feeling that this is all about winning here and things like that? Um, I think that's the most important. I, you know, I preach it all the time. I, I think it's really sad that we're, we live in this world. But, you know, if you look up the word fundamentals, the first three letters are fun. Mm-hmm. Make it fun. And these kids today, they don't want to work on their fundamentals. They don't like to work on their fundamentals. I get it. Uh, but I also don't get it. I think that we've, you know, kind of lost that. So I think as parents, I think you need to say to your kid, can I teach I want my kid to be in a good environment. I want to learn the game, appreciate the game. There's beauty of any game we ever play. Soccer is different from baseball and basketball is different from all those other sports and how they go about it. I think that's really important. So we start local. We work in state associations. We talk about these things. We have these discussion points before. I've seen video film lately of uh, youth football games where you know literally like 20 people are on the on the field while the game's going on. There should only be 20, basically 20 four people. There's usually just a ref and a side judge and then 22 players. And that's it. Everybody else should be off the field. Nobody should be in the huddle. Nobody should be. That's the way games are played on Sundays and Saturdays when you get to the top of the level. Nobody's out in the field chirping, saying things. And that's how it starts. And that's I, how I it begins. I got a question for you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a chicken and egg thing, right? So we're seeing parents act a certain way they have these expectations and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And then we're seeing the coaches 
react a certain way. Mm -hmm. So going back to the FUN, mm -hmm. the fun part element, there's a lot of great coaches out there. But at the same time, we see a lot of coaches that have this expectation of winning. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it with Little League. Um, you know, Juan, Juan's a good friend mm -hmm. of ours. He was coaching his son's Little League. And the other team was up by like 10 runs, and they just kept stealing bases and stealing bases and stealing bases. And, um, you know, he, he spoke about that, sent an email and said, hey. And they were like, well, that's just part of the game, and that's what we're doing, and, and that's how they're going to learn. Well, how are they going to learn when the catcher can barely catch the ball and then let alone throw it down to second base? He can't, right? So at the age group, when we're talking about these seven-year-olds, the problem also is the fact that we're no longer talking about the fundamentals because if you're sending your kid to be with a coach and be with their spring program, the end result should not be a championship. Is like learn how to lay a bunt, how to scoop up a ball, how to go to first, how to throw to second, you know? Everybody gets a turn catching a ball. Everybody gets a chance to play in the infield. You know, everybody. So it that's how you learn. Everyone's going to learn how to pitch, even if you don't pitch. I'm going to show you how to throw the ball. I'm going to show you how to pitch. I'm going to show you how to lay down a bunt. But we're not doing that because the practice times are small in between. You're trying to put your best players in the best positions, right? Who Where's the best athletes, right? Shortstop, mm -hmm. yep. second base, yep. whoever's got a strong arm, maybe we put them at catcher, and then they're going to pitch. Those mm -hmm. are your best guys, right? You try to hide your, your worst uh, players in the outfield, and then you're – you know, you're telling them, saying, as, as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, you're taking off, or as soon as it hits his glove, the catcher's mitt, you're taking off and steal a second because he can't throw it down there anyway. So what are we teaching? So we have these expectations from the parents for them to win, but at the same time, you know, s some of the coaching is not helping, and is that something that's an individual thing, or is that does that have to be across the board from whatever organization? If you're in the Pony League, or you know whatever it is, should that be mandated and say, hey, we're, we're here to win games, but you need to teach these positions to all your kids. Everyone needs to learn these different things, and we're you know we're going to steal bases. You're up by five. We're no longer stealing the base unless it's a pass ball. You know, like where do we kind of try to fix some of this so we can kind of you know rein it in, and the parents don't have the expectations day one, letting you know this is a teaching league. This is not a we're going down the canyon of heroes at the end of the season. Yeah, I think you've brought up a lot of good points. I think number one, when you will, I'm going to use football as an example a little bit later. But number one, I think when you talk about coaches, number one, I think especially in the day and age that we're at, I think if you were to really go through the internet, you can find little pieces and things like that. I don't think there's a really one website that does a great job of teaching fundamentals and really saying, here's the drills and things like that. I've been preaching this to all the guys that do all this coaching work around thing. I said, guys, what you have to understand, you get volunteers to do these jobs. They may have played 20 years ago. They use their old drills from 20 years ago, which kids do not have fun. You have to understand how kids think today. If you have a young kid, or in my case, a grandchild, you see them on iPads. You see that they, they, they go from one to the other fast, quick. Well, you have to design practices just like that. You go from one drill to the next drill. You don't sit around and just do one drill for four hours. It is not going to work with these guys. They will be yawning. Pete Carroll does that with yeah. his drills. Yeah. He's absolutely amazing. If yeah. you get a chance, anybody get a chance to go down and see the Seahawks working out in the summertime, the drills are absolutely amazing. And they're just like what you just said. They move fast and furious from one thing to the next, and they're done. Yep. 
And I think that that's uh, so. You number one, you start off with a volunteer coach. Give them some, uh, you know, a practice template. How do, how do you set up a practice? How, do that. Give them some example um, books, uh, culture books. How to you know set the right culture within your organization. How do you talk with parents? All those things. I think if we if there was a device for you know those things, and I think it's it, it's a longer problem or a longer bigger issue. Like what I'm saying to you is there's a program that that's uh, you know in Europe and Canada it's called LTAD, Long Term Athletic Development. There's literally from from age five to age twelve. There is no specialization. There is you go play as multi many sports as you can, learn more demalities. I mean, just go out and play sports. Then from age 13, if you're recognized, then from 13 to 16, then you get a little more, more, a little more specialized. And from 16 on up, then you are, you know, whatever you want to do, you can go do. And again, it's teaching the, of the sport, number one. And number two, you can play it for the rest of your life, whether you're like you and I on the weekend warriors. Yep. We can still, we understand the fundamentals of basketball. We understand a pick and roll and all those things. And we get it. Um, so you can do those things. And I think that you, you, uh, you know, you don't lose the love of the game. And, you know, most kids quit at age 13 because of number one issue, fun. It's just not being fun anymore. Yep. And I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the behaviors that we're talking about, then I think it's about, and I think it starts from the top, and I'm going to use football as an example, and I, and it's something I preach about. It's, you know, the game of football literally is diminishing. Um, I don't know, if, you know, locally, uh, the high school and, of course, just had to shut down their varsity football program this past, this next year because they don't have the numbers. Oh, uh, there's uh, Cordes High School. Anacortes. And, uh, and is Franklin also? Franklin is, from what I understand, is shutting down. There is rumor that Bellingham High School, Ferndale, and Seaholm might make one team up there because the numbers are so far down. So, again, this kind of goes to the bigger point to me. I think the NFL has a problem. So they either they address it or it's going to just fall down the wayside down to the little leagues and then, you know, have a problem down there. What I'm saying is it's about safety. Moms aren't playing. They're just saying, hey, I'm not going to push my kid around in a wheelchair when he's 50 years old because he can't talk because he got so much brain damage from playing the sport. But that we're doing some great things here locally. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make of the story. Yeah. What I'm saying is that it has to go from the push down. So they need to say we're doing a great job with safety. We've got some good equipment. We've got some new devices. And we're going to push it down to the high colleges. And the colleges will do a great job. And we'll be safer there. And we'll push it down to the high school. And we'll push it down. The same thing has to happen with, with youth sports. We have to have the softball association or, you know, in this situation, the little baseball guys, the baseball association come down with a hammer and get these guys and say, we're not putting up with this. We're not doing this, parents. So if we even have to have you not come to the games and just let kids play and we'll put fake noise in, cheering, and do that in the background, then we'll do that. But they have to start somewhere, and it has to start because it just can't be just you know the you know the the nice little league, and everybody's going to think they're going to come play. It, we have to we have to put our big boy pants on and have to act the way. I think that you know going back to that you know little team that you know is getting run on every uh, inning and stuff like that. I've been in games where I've been up by a lot, and I've had to teach my kids sportsmanship. Like we're just not going to you know t- steal the ball and we're going to go make lands in a basketball game we're just not going to do that we're going to learn how to win gracefully and i think that those things are kind of lost and i think and sadly what you're saying yeah. is uh, you know i mean if, even if you even if you take sports out of it think about the, the um i've heard about this phenomenon in the uh 
you know, gaming industry where you can literally buy yourself into a game. You get a hundred, you're at a hundred thousand points and you can take it over. And some other little kid did all the, what are you, what are you teaching you? Yeah. You just buying at a hundred thousand and you're off and running. Well, the same thing, you have to do the fundamentals to get there, to be that person. Um, you know, I really respect, you know, like Kobe Bryant now is doing stuff with the Aspen Institute talking about, it's about a process. You have to do these things. You have to work at your game. You have to spend the time. You have to condition, you have to do these things. Just because you're, you know, uh, you're six eleven and you're gifted doesn't mean you can't not work There's at your craft. There's guys that are gifted also. Absolutely, got to put in the work. Absolutely, you know, and and I just hope that we could kind of get back to that. You know, I remember when um, you know playing baseball and also helping coach uh, when my son was playing. My son's only twenty years old. So we're not even talking that long ago. Yeah, and we would just kind of just run a bunch of different drills and. We would take the pitch machine and, and shoot the balls up into the air, and everybody would just learn how to catch a fly ball. And we would just kind of do that all over again. And we would take a tarp into the grass and have them slide onto the tarp, like if they were going to second base, the proper way to slide, how to land on your, how, how to land on your leg. So we did all these different things to kind of help the kid. Um, we used to put uh, numbers on baseballs one, two, and three, and mm-hmm. have the kids stay in a batter's box, a box, and not swing. Just say what number it was mm-hmm. and just have them learn how to kind of track the ball. And this was all just drills that we would just do. We weren't even playing games. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to do a simulation game. It was like we played our game when it was time to play the game. Everything else is just working on how to play the game. So they could learn how to play it the right way. And usually they were much better by the end of the season. They usually had to play the game to be maybe future coaches mm-hmm. and to have love mm-hmm. to eventually when they get older they could take their Jimmy to go see a you know a, a Yankees game or whatever case may be because this is passion this love of sport because it was still fun so i'm hoping that as associations and organizations they just kind of push that through and i'd love to see that just across the board and say hey like you mentioned this is the way we're going to do it this is the way it has to be if you're not doing that then you don't need to be coach of this team you could go somewhere else. We'll find someone else that's willing to do it. And maybe we can do that and have that flexibility because we have a template. Yep. And Absolutely. maybe that kind of goes back to if we have this template that everyone can use, the coaches, you know, the, the assistant coaches, whatever case may be, this is what practices should look like for the most part. If you, you know, obviously you can make some adjustments, but, you know, this is kind of what we want you to do. And across the board, you know, they're learning the right way and learn how to play the right way. Because usually game day was kind of like the afterthought, you yep. know. It was like, oh, it was game day. But it was the practices that really kind of made the team and made the player going forward. Yeah. Well, I think if you really studied championship type teams, um, you know, from every level, from every program, a lot of times, to be honest with you, that the practices were tougher than the games. That the the the, the level so Saban said, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, level of practice, practice. Yeah. yeah, the level of practice is so good that by the time they get there to play on Saturday or whatever day they play on, the game becomes very simple. I guarantee you, right now, just listening to what you just said about how you did that with baseball, and I always believe in the one percent rule. I always tell my kids, we just got to get one percent better every day. If we do that every day, we add sixty practices, we have sixteen games, and we do, um, you know, you know, we play another ten games, extra games, so that's total of 26 and 77 whatever it's 100 percent. i mean 100 you know games or simulations yeah. and we got one percent better we get 100 percent better by the end of the year um i'm pretty sure 
uh, any major CEO of any major company, if they said they could get better it. by 100% by the end of the year, they would take that. Growth is usually 1%, 2 3 4% better. And, that, and most uh, you know, major companies are really happy with that. So that is, has to be the emulation of the program. I think that, and again, I don't necessarily, maybe there are some issues with the long-term athletic development. I'm not saying that's the number one way to do it. All I'm saying is look at models, say how can we make it better, how we can make it easier. Why are, so let's use the NBA draft just recently. And we were lucky. We have four kids from the, from yeah, the city of yeah. Seattle that got drafted, Amazing. which obviously shows we have – you know, uh, I would probably argue as a football coach that we have more, you know, rainy days. That's why the basketball guys can get to go inside <laughs> and go play a little more. I'm just my point, my position on that. Now we'd have There's good football. Right? Yeah, and we have we have we have good football players here too. My point being is that um, if you looked at the NBA draft, they said there was the first time in the history or the last time in like 20 years they had four Canadian kids drafted. Correct. They had, you know, X amount of Europeans drafted, which is my point to the story to the American kids. Guys, it's not just they're catching up. Yeah, it's they, just no. They yeah. caught up. Excuse yeah. me. They, yeah, they, they caught up. Yeah, There's it's no not. They're catching up. Yeah, America. You know, it, J- James Naismith may have started the game here, but the game has worldwide, and it's gone. You know, and, and for my stepson, who's a special teams coach, where are all the where are all the special teams guys coming from now? Australia. Mm. The world. The game is. It's worldwide. You know, like you were t- going to your point earlier. The internet, social media. I mean, it's it's a game changer. Yeah, Yankees and Red Sox yeah. are going to play in London for yeah. the first time ever. That we have two teams going out there it's only a matter of time before we see more of that influx and what better way um you know instead of sending jacksonville from the nfl to go out there and play every year you know you're sending your two heavy hitters the yankees and the red sox to go out there and be the ambassadors of major league baseball so you know going back to your point it's it's global oh on multiple scales oh yeah and you know i mean even if you think about the uh uh, college football world and which is now trickled down to the pros look at all the Samoan and all the Tongan kids all the South Pacific Islander kids that are now them here at, uh, yeah. in Washington it's it's a changing game and yeah. and you know USC Washington yeah. right these yep. are the schools that usually have a lot well of and I think that if you if you you know step back and pull back now look at the last two kids that were on the board where'd they go they went to Tennessee yeah. and to uh, I believe the other kid went to Oklahoma this year so it's the, the you know that the pipeline that we used to have on the west coast Probably not going to be there. Yeah, I mean, Tui yeah. going down to uh, Tua going down to Alabama. I mean, it's just yep. changed. So, yeah. um, and, we and his parents moving with him too, yeah. and that kind of goes back to some of the other stuff that we were talking about earlier. Absolutely, so it's really, really interesting. Yes. So I think that. Uh, that we as a society, number one, I think it always starts from the grassroots. It has to be from that level. Uh, we have to do a better job of fundamentals, making it easier for coaches to, you know, to be a coach. Um, I, I'm with you 100%. I talked to a city official about one time about having all coaches certified to be able to coach in Seattle Parks and Recreation, and they said it would be too hard politically. And I said, then that's a price that we have to pay. We have to pay one year's price. Yeah. If that's what it is, then let's pay it. But I think that that has to be the new – thing we have to have coaches that are strong enough that an issue like a seven-year-old baseball game doesn't end up like it did you know a couple weeks ago in Colorado it just can't Um, and I know locally of some stories I mean this past year because I'm involved with you know younger youth football where now the two uh, city association teams have to have police presence on both and have to have their board presence at the game because they've had so many fights and it's ridiculous 
It's absolutely ridiculous, and it's about kids playing sports. Let them enjoy it. Have fun. Uh, after the game, shake hands and go home and, you know, and make it a community event and make it for fun. But where it's going, it, uh, you know, it, it, it's very concerning to me. Yeah, and, and that's a problem, too, because if you feel like you need to call the police in order to uh, have a game, then don't have the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Am, am I kind of wrong in my thinking? If I've got to call and have police presence there so no one loses their mind, which still might happen in a parking lot or something like that, then don't have the game. And that's the price. And that's the way you kind of, you, you kind of, uh, you, you teach that it's like having kids, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if they screw up, you know, you kind of say, Hey, this is the way to do it. And they screw up again. Then you let them fall on their face a little bit. It's like, all right, well, I told you about it. Now you've got to pay the price. This is what you're going to deal with. And now we'll see if you learn your lesson. I don't think it's now bringing police president is saying, hey, we're canceling everything. Yep. You guys screwed all this up. Yep. They can still come to practice. We can still do certain things. You want to be involved. But we're, we're no longer going forward. You, you guys, you know, the games are, are done for this year. Yep. And we forfeited the rest of the season. And next year, hopefully, we'll come back. Oh, by the way, the parents are all involved. You guys are suspended for two years. You yep. can't come to any games for two years. Yep. I mean, it's got you. We've got to do better. Yeah. Listen, we could go on this for forever. Absolutely. So let's kind of uh, let's let's move forward. Um, a lot of talk this week with the NCAA president Mark Emmert. Um, he threatened the California schools, and this kind of goes back to um, to 2009, right? The lawyers representing former football player Sam Keller and former basketball player Ed O'Bannon. Ed O'Bannon, really well known uh, basketball player from UCLA. They filed separate antitrust suits against the association that's centered on video games, right? And that has to do with their name, the image, the likeness. Um, and the idea of California legislators seeking to impose a remedy is not sitting well with the association. The association is the NCAA. And uh, he's turned around and said, well, if this bill kind of goes through, which already has passed, it was Senate Bill 206 by State Senator Nancy Skinner. Um, she's part of the Democratic uh, State Senator, and it passed 31 to 4. And now all of a sudden Mark is saying, well, if you guys are going to allow people to um, cash cash in, right, or have yep. control of your likeness, uh, be able to earn income, then um, maybe we're not going to let you be a part of the NCA. And I'm, I'm confused, like not be a part of the games or he's just saying playoffs. But still, there's be, there's a soft threat that's happening with uh, everything that's going on. What are your thoughts? Well, initially, I'll, yeah, it's concerning on a lot of different levels. Number one, uh, if my stepson was sitting here next to me, and I, I think I think – a lot of people's arguments would be simple. The kids, in exchange for playing their sport, get a, a college education. Well, that's true. And, and it is, there is a numerical value. It's about $200,000 on average. Let's talk about reality, though. Uh, NBA, uh, our college basketball players, is a one and done. Uh, NFL, they can be three years and they could be gone. Uh, all other sports, uh, you know, baseball, I think that has a two-year rule. They have to play at their school. I believe it's two years. They have to play at their school. Then they're eligible to get, get out and thing. Um, I think the rest of the sports are basically they play th- through and then they can be drafted through. Um, so if we really take away the, 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 the charade of, you know, the unveiling that really it's, it's uh, you know, the market to set these guys up for the futures of their, their sport they're playing – then that's one thing. I think that um, when, if we're talking about the reality of a kid who's playing four to five years at a school, then that's a whole nother thing. And I think that's really where I lie in with this piece. Um, 
so let's take it to two schools, University of Washington and Pullman. Uh, the cost of living here in Seattle, unfortunately, with the rise of Amazon and things like that, is much, much more expensive. Living in Pullman is much, much, much cheaper. The kids do get receive a stipend, okay? But is it commiserate to the area they live in? If you're in Stanford, if you're in San Francisco, Palo Alto, is how much more expensive is it? Um, and so that becomes, a, and, 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 and if you think about Title IX, then it becomes a, a numerical number. So the football players get a little bit, little bit more because they make more money. Well, what do you think is going to happen to the girls, you know, basketball or volleyball teams, which are very successful at the university, or the girls' volleyball team is very successful at the UW? I mean, do they get the same amount as the football guys? So there becomes this bigger argument. Um, the likeness piece, and, you know, uh, I I even have a harder time with it, me personally, because I used to, I mean, I used to coach offensive line. So the likeness of number, you know, 63, the left guard is not going to get the same much money as number 10, the quarterback, who probably this year will be Eason, you know, so where's that numerical number work? So there are some quirks about the whole piece. Having said that, for Mark Emmert to come out and say, basically, I'm going to hold you hostage and I'm going to, you know, you're not going to take yourself out of the thing is ridiculous. I think they need to address the, the big problem in the room is, you know, uh, there are, these universities are making millions and millions of dollars. Yes, off the likeness and the kindness and the jerseys and the numbers of these kids. Absolutely. Are these kids in exchange uh, working and doing all this stuff? Absolutely. Uh, but it's in exchange for college education. Now, uh, you know, as you and I talked about off the air, I would like to see more of the baseball model being used. That if that's defined, if the high school, if the basketball guy goes one and done to his school and he goes to uh, leaves the University of Kentucky after one year and he goes to the Grizzlies, then the Grizzlies are responsible for his education for the next three years for him to get his college degree. I think baseball's got it right. Um, you know, I used this example many times, uh, Manu Tuyasopo's kid, Matt, uh, when he graduated from Woodenville High School. I thought he was going to be a great high school quarterback. I coached against him. He was really, really good. Um, he ends up going baseball, but he got a million dollars, you know, signing bonus mm-hmm. from the Mariners. He got his college paid for from the Mariners. He's now a, you know, minor league baseball coach who has his degree if he wants it to be paid for. Um, he has a million bucks in the in the bank when he started. So it's, it was a win-win all the way around for him. And that's a great model to use from. Uh, again, it's – I think the, the important thing for me – and that's what I always preach to these young people is like, listen, use the sport before the sport uses you. So get your degree. But how does that work and where's that equity? And is the universities or the NCA should be part of that process? Should they be the ones that are – if they don't want to give this likeness thing, then they need to be on the hook for having to pay for the college for this kid wherever they want to finish. I don't think it's necessarily, the, necessarily always should be the universities. I'm just saying the NCA makes a lot of money. The schools make a lot of money. And they should be able to, you know, help these kids down the road. Uh, my nephew, who was in the heyday of the University of Washington basketball program with B. Roy and uh, Nate Robinson, he just got his master's degree this year. And it wasn't because, it, and to be quite frank and honest, it was because Coach Romar was, is such a good human being that he got him back into the program and got his master's degree. And now he's going to go teach and help young African-American kids in the Seattle community, which is awesome. And that's what it really should be about. It's a tough issue. Uh, the NCAA, unfortunately, has too much power, I believe. Uh, I think they, uh, you know, Emirate gets to put, you know, flex his big muscle and say that he can do what he wants and, you know, what that California going to cower. Uh, I think it needs to be challenged. I think it needs to be challenged in, in, in the courts. And I think, uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, 
as you and I both know, it's usually when the other the other side starts acting this way, it's because they kind of see the writing on the wall. This could be going down the wrong way for them, so they're going to thread another way, and then I think they'd probably end up back in legal court again on this same issue. Um, but there needs there needs to be some equity to these kids. These kids are are giving up their lives, and uh, you know how does how does a kid who's in the middle of a football game or any sport, how do they get compensated if they literally have a life changing you know, hopefully knock on wood, never happens to your kid, devastating career-ending injury. We've seen it with knees and, yep. you know, running backs from, you know, football yep. players. You know, we, we had the, the, the two running backs from South Carolina that, yep. that blew out their knees, and um, these were going to be probably a top-five pick, and um, they just never, you know, mounted uh, to what their possibility was. Um, going back to what Nancy Skinner uh, mentioned, she said Olympic athletes are also considered amateur, so this does not professionalize our college athletes and may in fact result in encourage something, uh, encouraging some of our students to stay in school rather than the motivation to go pro early because it's the only way to earn an income. So that's an interesting statement. And I think all of this really, I think really we're talking about the 1%. And obviously I'm just making up this number, but just to kind of give you um, just an idea, I think this is all to the 1%. It's the Johnny footballs of the world. You know, it's uh, some of these... Um, some of these players like, you know, Zion, right? Mm -hmm. Zion would have had King Zion t-shirts and everything he was selling on Instagram and, you know, the, the, the shoe that he broke, he put on eBay for $3,000 or, you know, I, I think these are the athletes that we're talking about. I, I crossed the board, the 99% of, of these athletes are not going to be affected by it. I think they're, they are going to go to school. They will get their scholarship. They will never be in a situation, um, where they're going to have that, that type of likeness. Maybe they're smart and become entrepreneurs and find a way to piggyback with some of their buddies. And, you know, they come out, be creative. You know, we're the four horsemen and they sell these T-shirts and, you know, something like that. So it's really interesting. And I think that's where some of that focus is, is that 1%. But what do you think about her saying that something like this might actually, if Zion's making money already, and he's probably the wrong example, but I just want to use it because it, he's relevant. He was going to be the number one pick. You don't stay in school. You go, right? You yeah. got to make that money. Yeah. But let's say a, a player like a Zion or a lower level Zion where you could come out, maybe you're a 15 or 20 pick or something like that. You're making money now because you've been selling. You've got a team. You know, We're talking about parents and whatever the case may be. And so you're making enough money now and you really love the college. You loved your experience. You're, you're a kid that actually went to school the second half of the year. You know, you didn't drop out after you came back in January. You yep. actually kept going to class because you thought that there's a possibility that you might come back. And you actually keep going because you're making some money. What, what do you think about possibly something like that affecting these type of players? And maybe an affecting programs because if you had a R.J. Barrett or a Zion stay now your program's even stronger. We've seen how strong Gonzaga is when they keep players three or four years. Well, I think, I think you just hit on what I what immediately came to my mind when you were talking about this. I would use the Duke program as a good example. So, and kind of going back to what we were talking about, those parents, the snowplow parents. So now we've got three parents. We've got Barrett's, we've got Zion's, and I think Reddish. And I think even there was a fourth kid from the Duke team that got drafted. But let's just use those three. 
So they start, you know, and so now we start hearing Zion's number one. No, RJ was going to be number one. Now the dollar amounts, and then, and so you don't think that's going to trickle down to the Duke basketball team? It's going to trickle mm-hmm. down to them. And how does the coach K handle that? And now he's got three guys that he knows that are leaving, and how, and then the, the likeness, and the, you know, and let's face it, social media. They got some guy who's literally counting the money, and all of a sudden Zion's up in a half a million dollars, and oh, RJ Barrett went to six fifty, and so that's would be my concern as a coach. Mm-hmm. Going to what you're saying is, you know, back to what your point to the whole story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The kids that are, you know, the other 99%, they're going to do it for the right reasons and figure this whole thing out. I, I you know, I think that they're they're going to they're going to they're going to take advantage of the situation that they're in. They're going to get their college education. They're going to get what they can get from their likeness or whatever they're going to get, and they're going to enjoy it. And they're going to see how the, you know. Maybe they enjoy the college experience. And they just do, want to be on there. Do you think this there. affects more of the football player than the basketball player that's going to be one and done? The football player that has to stay there three years that we know we've seen football players pretty much kind of, you know, coast that third year because they don't want to get hurt because they know they're going to be a top five pick. Do you think it affects more of those type of players um, compared to any other sport in college? I would agree with you, and I would all, I would I'd add I would add this. I know this for a fact that college that college athletes and by their junior year have already been con- contacted by the sports agents, and they're told to coast because they don't want to hurt their draft pick. And so, how do you think that works on a Friday afternoon? And how do you think that works with the oh, I know this is going to be a shocker. The betting lines down in Vegas yep. when they know that X amount of the USC teams got twenty kids that are going to go to the pros. How many, kid, how many kids? How many players are in a locker? College locker? How many players? There's eighty-five scholarship athletes. There's one hundred and five in the actual locker room. And their best player is kind of they all know because they yep. they've seen his speed. Yep. yep. Every day, and then on Saturday, it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. How does yeah. that affect that locker room? Oh, absolutely, it affects it immensely. They know, they know, and you're or when a team gets, uh, you know, let's just use this example. Team gets ahead by a lot of points, and the running back runs for 300 yards against a weaker team, and then gets in a tough game, and he's only held at like 85 yards, and amazingly, in the fourth quarter, comes up with a hamstring injury and, and, and checks out. Seen that too. So mm-hmm. there's it's it and and again to what you to your point, it trickles down into into the into the locker room. I mean it. They know, those guys know. And it's funny how those certain cars drive up, and there's certain people that are just happen to be around all the time. Uh, you know, we that referencing that SI you know article that we were talking about earlier about the snowboarding parents. You know, forty people around these guys. Who are these guys? Who are these people? Who do, are their interests for me? I don't know if they are. Uh, you know, you know, are my parents hiring the right people to be around me? Uh, you know, and that goes back to the, you know, some of the the issues that I think that are important, especially when we're talking about kids of color that are coming from uh, no resources in their prior past. If they don't have the the not only the financial skills but literally the emotional skills to deal with all of this, that's hard. And you know, let's face it. You know, the NFL stands for not for long. Uh, you're not paying for that much money, and you really, if you think about a standard, you know, minimum contract that's only three fifty. Take away forty percent of taxes. Uh, you know, pay for mom and dad's couple cars, get a couple of some houses. All of a sudden, that money's not there in a couple of years. Not everybody's making thirty million like old Russ is, and so that's a whole. <laughs> di- you know, I mean, it's a, it's a different world. So I think. I think sociologically, we need to step back and say, is this the right thing to do? I'm not saying, again, 
I'm going to pound the point because I, I, I was able to coach at the collegiate level. I know how kids struggle, you know, in college and trying to, you know, stay in an apartment, eat and stay at the top level of being a student, you know, student athlete, you know, I, Referenced before, uh, two years ago, the Pac-12 did a study and they that asked for the kids, you know, to talk about how many hours a week that they do, you know, um, student athlete work, and the average was 52 hours a week, and there's a 20-hour NCA rule week week mm. rule, uh, that's 32 hours past, and I'm guaranteeing right now they're not getting overtime for those 32 hours. So they want to play on the team, they want to go get to go on the road on the road trips. There'll be those 52 hours. And if you yep. think about the average, you add the volleyball team in that. I mean, you add the, the the golf team in that and those guys and stuff like that. Those guys, they're not out there as many hours as the major guys are. So it's uh, 52 hours, a lot of hours a week to, 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 you know, to get your sport. So they're definitely earning their $200,000 scholarship. We only have a few minutes left, unfortunately. Uh, there's so much to talk about, and, and this this will be this will definitely be brought up again. Um, do you think it's realistic him threatening schools when you've got schools in California that are Cal, USC, UCLA, Stanford? I mean, we're we're talking about twenty three. NCAA D1 schools. With those are powerhouses. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care if UCLA is down one year or USC. We're talking about iconic, you know, schools, especially when we're talking about football. We're talking about, you know, UCLA, how many champ basketball championships? I mean, are, are we are we serious? Is this just a, an act of desperation that he's worried that if this bill goes through and there's changes in 2023 that they're going to lose money? And my follow-up question is, how does our boy Larry Scott fit in representing the Pac-12 and how it affects his, his bottom dollar? I believe he's making $5 million a year. Uh, for the the bang up job that he's doing in this uh, in this league, um, so those two questions right there as we uh, we wrap it up here. I think you know, ultimately, you know, it's an idle threat to be quite frank and honest with you. And I think that if you really if you take off the your you know sports goggles and you put on your lawyer goggles, let's be honest, it'll it'll it would go to legal immediately. Stanford, USC, UCLA would immediately fire off lawsuits and go the other route. And um, I don't think for the NCA and for college athletics, it would be really good to put all the dirt and get it in, in, into, into the courts because uh, it would unveil a lot of, you know, sheets of gray matter that are out there that mm. either party doesn't really want people to know about. Um, so that's one. And I think going back to Larry Scott, which is, you know, a whole other su- subject in, in itself. I don't know if you saw this week, but the Big Ten is earning twice as much per school than the Pac-12 is right now. Um, so I think Larry Scott essentially is, is, you know, failing. I think it's sad to me even more, even with Larry Scott, is even after Mark Emmert said this today, that it's pretty quiet from the Pac-12 office. I haven't seen anything 
from those guys at all. Yeah. And you would think that as the commissioner and the guy who's leading the, the charge, maybe the edict is from the president's, but I think you'd still have, would have come up with a statement and said, well, if that's the way you feel, then we're going to have to, you know, legal remedies, but we'd like to, you know, do this amicably. And we think that there's an argument to be made about this. And can we meet maybe in the middle of the road, but we can discuss it. Or, or even saying, I, listen, as a Pac-12 commissioner, we support all our teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Just absolutely something. Absolutely. Say something. Absolutely. So I think that there's, um, you know, it's one of those, uh, unfortunately, it's one of those stories we'll be seeing uh, and then we'll be probably following and probably having another show about because I think eventually, oh, we definitely, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it will definitely go down that route. It's not, it's, I think that there's a, uh, enough push from the student athletes in today's world that these student athletes have more power than they ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media, they can get on lines, they can make these uh, uh, campaigns very simple and get a lot of we've, people we've behind them. Pa- parents like the ball of our ball. Yeah, and, I mean, so now it's, it's not even just the kids. Yeah, you know, we've, we've been talking about parents this whole this whole show. Yeah, um, there, there's going to be a lot of ramifications, and it'll be really interesting because. Um, especially parents start pulling their kids and moving them in different directions, going to different schools, and how much money is being lost. I mean, there's, I mean, we could go on and on and on, and that's why you know it's, it's just a great teaser to kind of talk about some of the stuff. But we're going to be getting into this topic as as time goes on, and a lot of lot of changes. And uh, we, I want to have you back on the show because I want to talk about not only the NCAA game but also the NFL and what's going to happen in the next couple uh, couple seasons when most likely the NFL is going to go on strike and how this is affected by players, coaches, what things should be done, you know, so there's a lot to talk about. So Absolutely. I want to really kind of get into that and we'll, we'll get into that in another show. Scott Lego, you can catch him on uh, Facebook, also student athlete advocates, and then please check out the website, saadvocates.org. The mission, simple, help parents and student athletes through the eligibility, recruiting, financial aid process. This is something that you need to do right away. One of the things that Scott mentioned was that even as an eighth grader, these are things that you need to start looking into, and he's here uh, to support and to answer questions and to be a part of this. And if you should catch him uh, traveling around and going to different schools and talking with, um, with with the different communities. So get a chance. Check out the website, saadvocates.org. For more information, Scott, thanks for being here, and uh, we'll do it again. Thank you well appreciate it